of you that weren't here the last two weeks, last week and the week before, um, the first Sunday, first Wednesday of the month is our normal prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And uh, the first of this month, um, I was not able to be here. I had a, injured my back. Pastor Ray led it. We had a specific uh, direction, and that was to pray for our children and our teenagers going back to school and for the teachers that were going to be serving them in school. And the Spirit of God just moved out of that. And as I got ready, I just had a sense I was supposed to, to do the next few Wednesday nights and I, and I knew what to do. It's God wanted to pick up on that. And the sense I've got is that, is that God wants to use this meeting on Wednesday nights. Because the people that come on Wednesday nights want to be in church. David does. Let's see. Uh, Richard does. <laughs> okay. You're here because you want to be here. And God wants to start something among a small group who are committed. And so we began to talk about prayer, and we're going to talk some more about it tonight. And what I felt, I felt led to do is to not, there's a title I have for this series, which is Prayer, the, the Bloodline of the Church. The, the, yeah, the, blood, the Bloodline of the Church. And it, it is what the church lives by, and yet it's the last thing we turn to. And I shared with you several weeks ago that, that um, a number of months, a number of years ago, uh, on one of the times that we did in the beginning of the year on prayer and fasting, uh, I felt the Lord speak to me because I, I just laid before him and said, Lord, I, need, I don't want to wait till I stand before you on that final day to know what I needed to change. I want to know now. How are we doing? Not, not what I think, not what the elders think. What you, you're the only one that matters. What do, you, what do you say? And I felt him say some things that were good and some things we needed to make changes at. And some of those things we've addressed. But the, one, one of the major thing he talked to me about that we haven't really done anything about is our prayer life together as a church. Many of you pray regularly. I hope most of you pray regularly. Some of you are prayer warriors. But it's when we learn to come together as a church and pray together. And we, we began to talk about that. And I really felt in, for these sessions to not just lay something out ahead of time, but to trust God each week to what do you want me to do. And, and last time I got in here, and it really wasn't until right before the service, praying that I had a sense of what to do. And I took some time this morning... I was in here praying a lot in the spirit and praying, and then I went to lunch. And when I came back, I got in here on my knees, and I felt the Lord impress me to, do, to, to pr- talk about something tonight. And then we're going to pray. And I could give you all kinds of lessons on prayers. I've got books on prayers. I've done series on prayers. I've done a course in school of ministry on prayers. But, it, but it's not learning so much how. It's to, something to get a hold of our heart. God wants to get a hold of our heart. And to do that, we've got to pray out of our heart. Because prayer out of our mind is the dullest, most boring thing you've ever done. And you know you're in your head because you start doing one of these things. It's like, I thought I was here for an hour and it was ten minutes. But when it's the other way around, when you realize it's been an hour and you thought it was ten minutes, now you're coming out of your spirit. Because in the spirit, there's no time. In the spirit, you begin to see things. And it's the prayer in the spirit that is where the power comes, because that is our connection with God. So we began to talk last time uh, about, or was it two times ago, about, about the disciples. Because when you found, whatever you found them in the beginning of the book of Acts, they were coming together to pray. And the reason was not because the pastor assigned Tuesday night prayer or Wednesday night prayer. They came together because they had no idea what to do. All they knew was Jesus said, Get, stay together until you've been endued with power from on high. They had no clue what that meant. They didn't know what they were looking at. It never happened before. 
All they know is Jesus said, stay together and, and wait. And wait's one of the hardest things for Christians to do. And so they did not know what else to do, so they gathered together and they just prayed. They were of one accord, which means they were seeking the same thing. They may have come about it differently, but they were looking out of their hearts for the same thing. And then we saw that it was not just in the beginning. It was then when everything, anything would happen, you would find them praying because they didn't know what else to do. And what's happened is the church has become institutionalized, we become de- denominationalized, we become movementized, we become organized, we become very kind of eyesed, and we look to those things so we know what to do. So we run up against a situation, we have a board meeting. I was talking to a pastor today. He's got a frustrating situation, and so he has a board meeting tonight of one of his boards. And I'm thinking, okay, that's good. But that's not what they did in the book of Acts. They prayed. (laughs) They prayed. I used to have this expression, and this doesn't, we have a board of elders and we have a board of directors here. But but to me, a committee is no more, is is basically pooled ignorance. It's when a bunch of people get together and pool their infinite wisdom when none of them know what to do. And I talked to you about uh, a pastor's meeting I went to and the pastor was speaking, uh, one of the speakers was speaking. He said, you know, these conferences you come to is when you pay money to come and listen to a man who spent time seeking God to find out what he said instead of spending the time you could of thinking what God had to say to you. And some, some of you get that on the way home. And so it's, it's, we want to do everything else but pray. And when we have to, with what we're facing, what's coming down the pike, just what's needed in this church right now, we need to come together and pray. We still need a teacher. There's some real good options that are out there now. We're ahead of where we were a week ago. There's some needs this church has. We have, we're having to redo our whole worship team because of our change in leadership. So we need God. I believe there are people God wants to send us because worship is so important to him. It's when we're worshiping him. He wants us to worship him. So why would God not provide the very, the very gifts and things to worship him at the best? We've got wonderful people here, but we want to be able to broaden it out and, and deep. So we need to pray for these. There's things that church needs leadership for. The church needs direction for, resources for, money for. We're blessed here. We don't owe any debt. We don't owe anybody anything. We own the buildings we have. But there's so much more God wants to do that when I look at them, I think that's going to take a lot of money. But God can do that. So we need prayer so that we can begin to expand and let God talk to us. So we looked at what the disciples did. And and then last week we looked at the power of this prayer is that that, that very often we went to the story of, uh, of Elijah. And we saw how he was challenging the prophets of Baal. And, and they, he had them build an altar of wood. And they put their animals on it and did all their dancing. And he, and he said, now you call on your God to, to, to start a fire here. And of course, nothing happened. They started cutting their bodies and nothing happened. Then Elijah said, here's what I'm going to do. So he built his altar. Uh, he put an animal on it. And then he had him pour water over it. He built stones around it. Pour water. He made it as, as, as impossible naturally for that fire to catch. And then he called on his God and fire came down out of heaven and it set the wet wood on fire. And we said that by the Spirit that the church is wet wood. Dry wood can kindle quickly. Just the fires fires they have in in California is an example of that. But wet wood only will catch fire if God sends fire from heaven. And that's what we talked about last time. When I was praying this morning or this afternoon, I really felt God take me to Jesus. That's a good place to have him take me. And to look at his prayer life. 
And to begin to just meditate on that. And we're gonna, that's what we're going to do tonight, and then we'll, we will pray. And I want to just begin by talking about um, who he is. I mean, you know who he is. You do know who he is, don't you? This is Jesus. This is God's Son in human flesh. All right? Now, we know he set aside all his divine attributes. We set aside his supernatural knowledge because God is all-knowing. He set all that aside. He set aside his supernatural powers, the second person that God had. And he did that so that at the appointed time, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the knowledge he would then have would come from the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The power that he would then have would come from the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus did that so he could be a prototype for us, so that we as children of God, as sons of God and daughters of God, walking around in this power of that same Spirit, could do the same things he did. He didn't do it as a special advantage because he was the second person that God had. He was a human being, born again, child of God, filled with the Spirit of God, so we could be born again, children of God, filled with the same Spirit of God. So he set all that aside, but he was still God. He still was never sinned. And so what we're going to look at is the simple proposition, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We're going to see how often he prayed. We're going to see what he did when he was in situations. Now this is the God, this is the Son of God who said, in this situation, if I wanted to, I could call down legions of, of angels to deliver me. So he had that power at his disposal, and this man prayed more than any of us prayed. And we're going to look at the situations in which he prayed. Um, so we're going to start, first of all, in Luke chapter 3. This is where he's being baptized by John the Baptist. And, and um, now Luke's account's a little different. Luke adds something that Matthew and Mark and John don't add. It says in verse 21, When all the people were, being bat- were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And this is what Luke adds. And while he prayed, heaven opened up. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice from heaven spoke which said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus comes to be baptized. And we know from the other accounts that, that John resists him and said, You know, you should be baptizing me. I shouldn't be baptizing you. And Jesus said, No, we have to fulfill the scriptures. This is what I need to do. And, but Luke now says, And while he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Spirit of God came down upon him and filled him. So Jesus is filled with the Spirit while he's praying. All right, let's look at another one. Let's go to uh, Mark chapter 1. Verse 35. Now this was his practice. We're going to go, actually, I'm going to go read before they'll have up there. So what had happened is that it, um, the, the evening before what we're about to read, uh, they had brought to him all kinds of sick people. And it says, Jesus moved with compassion, went out among this multitude of people, and he prayed for them, and they were healed. And then he goes to bed, and verse 35 says, Now in the morning... 
having, having risen a long time while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So Jesus, this is what I want to get across this morning. This is what I felt tonight. This is what I felt God getting across to me today. Just keep going. This is Jesus. Okay? Jesus. Somehow, with all the, he'd done the night before, he didn't think, you know, I need to sleep a little later this morning because I had a long service last night. I, you know, I need an extra hour of sleep here, guys. You know, my body's tired. What did Jesus do when he was tired? Jesus got up early and went out and spent time alone in communion with his Father. So he must have gotten something out of that time alone with his Father that energized him, that, that refreshed him. Because Jesus, you see, what we often do is we judge things by our flesh, how our body feels. So what we'll say is, I'm tired. I'll say it too, I'm tired. What I really mean is my body's tired. I'm not my body. Have you ever had a time when you, and you, you're Wednesday night people, you probably have. I remember when I used to, uh, I was still practicing law and I, my office was in Worcester. So I would leave work, drive the hour down here, get my family, we'd get something to eat, sometimes throw it in my mouth on the way here, and come over here. And so many times as I'm leaving tired, I may have been in court tired, and I'm exhausted, I'm thinking, you know what, I'm too tired to go to church tonight. Now I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, but I want to show you a point. I'm too tired to go to church tonight. And my body was tired. My mind was tired. I concentrated all day. And I get home get the food, which makes me even sleepier. And I, but I come here out of habit. That's why they're good habits. Come here out of habit. And I never left here without being energized. I never left here without being so energized, I wonder, what was I ever thinking? Why? It wasn't that my body got rest unless I happened to fall asleep, like some of you do. But it was like my spirit came alive. Jesus said, my words are spirit in their life. My spirit became alive and energized me. And that's what prayer does. Prayer, communing with God. Think about this. Moses called up onto the top of the mountain. You imagine going to a prayer meeting that's 40 days and 40 nights, nonstop. Just you and God. Oh, by the way, they have no food there or nothing to drink. So Moses was 40 days and 40 nights, this happened twice, in the presence of God. And I don't think he was bored. Because at the end of one of them, he says, I can't stand it anymore. I want to see more of you. I want to see your face. See, the closer you get to God, the more you want. We talked last week about getting on fire for God. The fire comes from him. He is, a, he, is a, he is a flaming fire, not a fire that destroys, but He is pure light, pure life. Imagine, pure life. You can't be near Him and not get infused with life. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is getting near Him. Prayer is getting near Him, opening your heart and your life to Him and getting near to Him. And you don't have to go far to get near Him. He's near you. He's in you. That's why when we pray, we bow our heads because He's in here. Sometimes that's a good reminder. 
So Jesus gets up early in the morning and goes out on a, all by himself just to commune with God. Now, if he needed to do that, if he needed, you're talking about Jesus now, the one they put in stained glass windows, the one, you know, he's the son of God, we were, and he is. If Jesus needed to do that, I'm going to say it again. If Jesus needed, to, he was tired. He preached and we ministered all night. But he, if he needed to do that, how can we think we don't? The reason we think we don't is we've been able to get by without doing it. Getting quiet in this Presbyterian church. Pastor Sam, the founding pastor of this church, one of the things, he said a lot of things I remember, some I can't repeat. But I remember him saying, he said, I heard him say it one time and I never forgot it. He said, when you have a day without prayer, what you're really saying is, God, I don't need you today. I can coast on what I had yesterday. How well do we coast on the food we ate yesterday? We want food every day. So Jesus, and I'm not doing this to condemn us because I'm talking to me tonight. I just want to inspire us tonight. If Jesus needed to do this, how much more do we? See, the disciples gathered together in prayer because they know they needed God. And they did not know how to do what they were supposed to do. They just knew they needed to hear from God. Jesus apparently knew he needed to hear from God. One of these all-night prayer times he had was right before he chose 12 men out of the multitude that was following him. He didn't go through some... uh, uh, He didn't take resumes. He didn't interview them. He went and talked to his father about who his father wanted to choose to be among his innermost team. And that was a critical decision because in only three and a half years he's going to be gone and it's going to be left in their hands. And he knew one of the ones he was choosing or was going to be a traitor that would turn him in. I guess maybe you'd have to pray and get God's strength to choose somebody on your inner team you know is going to betray you. Let's look at another one. Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 5. However, the report went out concerning him, and all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. Verse 16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So after he'd ministered to large groups, he would pull aside and pray and spend time in prayer. 
Let's look at Mark chapter 6. Now this follows right after John the Baptist has been executed. And remember, this is his cousin. So we kind of read these things as facts. But this was his cousin. And he's been executed for standing up for the truth. And he's been beheaded and his body desecrated and then the disciples took it and buried it and now he pulls aside with his disciples and the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all these things and both what, had, what they had done so what's happened is they've been out and ministered and come back they're telling him the successes they've also told him about John the Baptist what's happened to him and what they had taught verse 31 And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. You know, in our American culture, we have bought this idea that rest is a sin. Especially if you're in a corporate situation, you're in a working for other people. It's, it's, I mean, I, law firms that I worked in they live off of how much they can bill through you. So they put quotas. You have to have so many billable hours a year, and if you don't, that can affect your pay for the next year. The last law firm I worked in was a small one, and they didn't do it that way. They just used guilt. You're not billing enough. You're not spending enough time. You're not in here enough. And one of the senior partners was very good at it because... Uh, he would call the other senior partner when he was out fishing and say, I'm in the office working, what are you doing? And that was on a Saturday. So my point is, we live in a culture that if you're going to rest, there's something wrong with you. You don't have enough ambition. And yet, isn't it interesting that God built rest in as one of the Ten Commandments? And the model for that was God rested. On the seventh day, God rested. And the Bible said he hallowed or made sacred that day of rest. So apparently God, God's not against rest. He's commanded rest. We just somehow think we don't need to do it. So here's Jesus having ministered to people. And now he pulls his staff aside and says, let's pull away and let's rest together. And what do they do while they rest? They pray. They go aside to rest and to pray. Come, away, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while, for they were coming and going, and they did not have time to eat. Let's go to um, Luke chapter 10. This is right after Jesus has... Um, the chapter before, Jesus sends the twelve out and tells them to, raise, to, to lay hands on the sick, to preach the gospel, and then they come back. And now, at the beginning of chapter 10, he sends, there was another larger group of disciples called the 70, and he sends them out. And now they've come back, and they reported. They're so excited. They said, Master, Master, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And, and, and Jesus says this then. In, the hour, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit 
and said, Father, I thank you, Lord of heaven, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, so it has seemed good in your sight. Now, the reason I put that in here is Jesus didn't pull aside to pray this. He's just talking to the Father in the middle of a situation. So sometimes we think what prayer is, is prayers I've got to go aside and pull aside and just spend three hours in prayer. And yet, Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. So obviously you can't keep a job and go sit out in the, in the, in the, in the park and pray all day, every day. You've got to go about your work, and, and whether you believe it or not, you're, you're doing your work as a spiritual exercise. It is, it is a sacred thing, because the Bible tells us to work, right? You know the Bible tells us to work. You know the Bible tells us to work. Work is a good thing. But in the middle of that, you can talk to God. So this is Jesus in a situation where he's just he's corrected his disciples. Because what he said right before this, you're impressed that the demons are subject to, to you in my name. I saw the dude fall. I saw their boss fall from heaven like lightning. So he says, but what, don't rejoice in this. Instead, rejoice that your name's been written in the Lamb's book. So he's correcting his disciples, getting their focus back on what's important. Because as, as sheep, our focus often gets off on the wrong thing. So what's happened is he sent them out. This is the 70 now. He sent them out with a commission. And they did what he said. They come back and they're so excited with the results. But what they're excited about is that the demons were subject to them in his name. They get their eyes on the demons and what the power is that he got. And Jesus brings their focus back and says, that's great. But don't get too impressed by that. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He's no match for the name of Jesus. But instead rejoice that your name's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So I, I, was, I was reading uh, again Ter- Terry Law, who was here Sunday. I had read the, his book on praise and worship years ago, and I started start rereading it. I found it again, and, and the newer version of it. And that's part of why I asked him to do what he did Sunday. And uh, in there, he talks about spiritual warfare, as he did Sunday. But he makes this wonderful point. He says a lot of times in, in spiritual warfare, we're focused so much on what the devil's doing. And there's no anointed weapon to do that. The weapons that we have that are not carnal are weapons that focus on what God has done and what God's doing. And here Jesus is making that correction. He said, don't look at the fact that the demons are subject to you. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And from that comment to correction to them, Jesus goes into this just off-the-cuff prayer to his Father. Father, I thank you that these things you've hidden from those that think they're so wise, and you revealed them from those that the world would consider to be babes. Even so, Father, so it seemed in your sight. So here in the middle of just a casual situation, Jesus is outwardly thanking his Father for something. Let's go to Luke chapter 11. Now, it's interesting because this is further along in his walk with his disciples. It says that it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased... Then one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now the background here is that rabbis had their own doctrines that they taught, and they had their own patterns or ways of prayer. And many times they were very 
elegant and very, you know, very ornate, not ornate, they're very, very elegant and very profound sounding. So they've heard that John taught his disciples to pray, so they want Jesus now to teach him. And that's really under, underlying what this series of meetings is about. Because what we're asking is, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, Lord, teach us to pray. But notice to do that, they have to humble themselves enough to admit they don't know how. See, God will meet us where we are if we're honest with him. But to be honest with him, we have to first of all be honest with ourselves and take all the pretense away. So they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, and then you know what happened. Jesus goes on to teach them. In Matthew's account, he says, don't use vain, repetitious prayers the way the Gentiles do, the way the unbelievers do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many prayers. In other words, their confidence is that they will be heard because of how they pray. A little sidetrack here. Jesus says, but don't you know that your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask? Very powerful and important verses there. Because what Jesus is telling them, he says, don't get focused on how you're praying. Because the how we pray focuses on me. I'm not doing the right thing. Let's see, am I supposed to stand? Am I supposed to kneel? Am I supposed to put my hands in the air? Am I supposed to look up? Am I supposed to look down? Am I supposed to talk loud? Am I supposed to be quiet? How, how am I supposed to approach the Father? And Jesus, don't look at you. Don't look at what you're doing. He's saying the Gentiles put their trust in what they're doing. And the reason they're doing that is they have no other basis to go before a holy God because they have no relationship with Him. But He's saying, you're not like them. Don't you know that your Father, Father speaks of a relationship. So He's saying the way you come in prayer is understanding, first of all, you're talking to a person who is your heavenly Father someone you have a relationship with, and it's a relationship of father and of child. So Jesus is saying the basis of your communication in prayer is the relationship that you have with the one you're talking to. I think many of us, when we're praying, we really don't think we're talking to somebody. We're just kind of throwing prayers in the air and hoping something sticks. But when... When I talk to Denny, I know there's a person there that's listening to me. We had a brief conversation before the service. And he looks in my eyes, I look at him. I know there's a person there. And so my thoughts and my words are focused on Denny because I know he's listening to me and he'll hear me. And prayer is that, is talking to your father who's listening to you. He's listening so much he already knows what you're going to ask him. That gets into another question, which is why do we need to ask him then? But, but right now we're looking at the one you're talking to is a person. He's God, but he has a personality. And he listens. And he already knows. 
Ladies, those of you who are married, you know how hard it is to get him to understand you or just to listen to you. And men, you know how hard it is sometimes to get your... because you talk different languages. You know, one of you is FM, the other is AM. You're in different frequencies. So the art is learning to adjust so that you can receive the right... Fre- God knows everything you're going to ask Him before you ask. He knows the depths of your heart. And yet we get so worried, I hope I can get this across right. Just open your mouth and talk to Him. Just open it. In, in Psalm 81, I think it is, God says, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. That's what Spirit-led prayer is. Just open your mouth, begin to talk to Him, and trust the Spirit of God is going to come behind and engage you in communion with your Father. Because the tr- true powerful prayer and communion is spirit to spirit. Jesus tells in John chapter 4, when He's talking to the woman at the well, and, and they're discussing worship, and she's getting into that discussion for, for another reason. But she, she talks about where's the... See, this is the, this is the, 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 the Gentile thought. Where is the right place to worship? That's the discussion she has with him. And she said, you know, you Jews believe that it, it's in, in Jerusalem is the right place to worship. We worship on this mountain. And Jesus said, the time is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship not on this mountain, not in Jerusalem, because it's not the place you worship. The true worshipers will worship my Father in spirit and in truth. And my Father longs for those worshipers. Now that's a significant statement even when it comes to prayer. Because the reason true worship is in the spirit is because God is a spirit. And the part of you that resembles God is your spirit man on the inside. And so your communion with God, whether it's in worship or whether it's in prayer, the true communion is spirit to spirit. Not mind to mind. It's not like Dr. Spock. Remember in the mind meld? You know, mind transfer, all right, like that. It's not, it's not that. It's, God knows your thoughts, but the true communion is spirit to spirit. And worship is a form of communion with God. It's a loving communion. It's a connection. I don't want to get into that. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an intimate connection. The most intimate connection you can have is spirit to spirit. My wife and I have been married 52 years. We've had an intimate physical relationship, an intimate emotional relationship, but the most intimate relationship we can have is spirit to spirit. That's what relates us together. It's not the things we have in common. It's the same spirits living in us. That's our connection with one another. How much more with Him? So in prayer, we want to come to the place where our praying is in the Spirit. And that may involve tongues, it may not. Tongues is an assistant to that, because tongues is a prayer language that's from your spirit to God's spirit. But out of that, that will excite your spirit and make your spirit sensitive and aware. So your communion with God, my point is, is it's a perfect method of communion that God has ordained and designed. So we can have confidence in it. Most of the reason people don't praise, they don't have confidence that are going to get answered. 
And we just get weary or we just fall back into the habit of just saying our prayers so I can check it off. I said my prayers today so I feel good about myself. But we don't expect anything to happen. If people in this church fully expected their prayers to be answered, you'd have to stand in line to get in here on Wednesday night. Because people have needs. But they're not confident that God's going to hear them. So they want the pastor to pray for them. They want somebody else to pray for them. Instead of coming to God and praying for Him for ourselves. I have no magic pipeline to God that you don't have. I've got the same spirit in me that you have. I deal with the same obstacles, the same hindrances that you have. Maybe more because of the position that I'm in. Lord, should I go there? Don't egg me on. Oh, I may. Another video that my son sent me, and I may show this on a Wednesday, on a Sunday down the road. Do you know who Francis Chan is? Wrote a book, Crazy Love. He's an amazing man of God. He's addressing a, a, a conference of believers, and he comes out with a baby bottle, and he keeps sucking on it. He says, This is most Christians. They've been around for 20 years but they're still sucking on the milk of the word. They're looking for everybody else to come and talk to God for them. And he says, Paul addresses this when Paul says in, Roman, in Hebrews chapter, whoever wrote Hebrews chapter 6, by now you ought to be teachers. Instead, I've got to feed you the milk of the word. And so we, we, we don't grow in our relationship with God unless we talk to him ourselves that doesn't mean you can't answer prayer, but that should be an auxiliary to help you in a difficult time. We need to learn to turn to him ourselves, and we need to learn to turn to him as a congregation. All right, let's look at another example here. The whole point here is simply this. Jesus needed to pray often. Now, this is John chapter 11, verse 41. This is another example of sometimes how Jesus prayed. He's at the tomb of Lazarus. And the scene here, of course, is that Lazarus, who was a good friend of his and loved by him very much, Lazarus has been dead four days. And Jesus has an awkward time here because not only is Lazarus dead four days, but Jesus knew about it before it was going to happen. Because Lazarus' sisters sent a message to him. And the message was, if you... If you want to see your friend Lazarus anymore, you better get here and pray for him because he's dying. And Jesus' reaction to that was to his disciples, I think we'll stay where we are a couple more days. Now that sounds very unfeeling. That sounds very insensitive of Jesus. But there's an important lesson in this. Jesus, the key is Jesus tells us elsewhere, I only do what I see my father do. And only, is the key word, say what I hear my Father say. So Jesus did not go in response to Mary's cry because the Father did not tell him to go. Jesus was ruled by what the Spirit told him to do, not by what people told him they needed that went over very big. Because we have this image of Jesus as he's so loving and so caring. And he is! 
And we want him to be loving and caring with us. We want to be loving and caring with people and people loving. But we've got to put Jesus first. We saw that a few Sundays ago, even above our family. Jesus said, he who puts father, mother, spouse, children above me is not worthy of following me. He must be first. And Jesus lived this out. So now he gets there, and these women who are supporters of him, they love him, he loves them, they're upset he didn't come. I can understand that. And they come out and they're trying to be polite, and they say, Master, you know, if you had been here, if you had been here, our brother would be alive. And Jesus was moved. It says Jesus wept. He was touched with their pain and their hurt. So he goes now out to the tomb, and now they're wondering, what's he going to do? Because, see, the reason Jesus can be late is he can still raise the dead. So he comes out to the tomb, and he, they, he says, move the stone away. And Martha, I think it is, or Mary, I came from which one, says, but, but by now it's four days. Lord, <laughs> he stinketh. They took the stone away from the place where the dead man was lying. And look at this. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I thank you that you have Notice the past tense there. He hasn't prayed anything yet. He hasn't said anything yet. We're talking about Jesus' prayer life. This shows us the confidence that Jesus has, that his Father hears everything he asks. I know that you have already heard me. Verse 42. I know that you always hear me. So, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, Jesus tries to tell us the same thing in Mark chapter 11 when he's teaching his disciples about prayer. And Jesus says to them, because he's just spoken to a fig tree, and then he went on about his business, and when they come back the next morning, the fig tree's withered up and died. And notice Jesus isn't moved by that. He just keeps going by the fig tree. He doesn't stop saying, whoa, it worked. Praise me, it worked. Wow. He walks on by because he expected it to die. But Peter stops and says, whoa, master, the fig tree you cursed, it's dried, and it's dried from the roots up. And Jesus sees this as a teachable moment. And he said, have faith in God. Let's just see what that's, he has. Have faith in your Father. Not have faith in how you pray. Not have faith in the words you say. Have faith Literally in the Greek it says, have faith of God. For I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be taken up and be cast to the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Jesus says, I know you always hear me. I know that whatever I ask you, you hear me. And so the confidence we're to have when we ask God is the one we're asking always hears us. Now John got a hold of this, the apostle, because he wrote in 1 John chapter 4, he says, he says and this is the confidence that we have in our Father. Amazing verse. If we ask anything 
that's in accordance with his will. And that's a broad, that's a big boundaries on that. Your whole Bible's his will. If we ask anything that's in accordance with his will, he hears us. Well, I don't know whether God heard me. Did you ask something in accordance with his will? Then God's word says he heard you. Jesus says nothing about feelings here. Notice he didn't say, I feel that you hear me. He says, I know that you always hear me when I pray. And now John's telling us, it applies to us. If you ask anything that's in accordance with his will, that simply lines up with his will, he hears you and it gets better. And if you know he hears you, you know he, you already have the request that you've made known to you. So God's already made, whatever is God's will for you, he's already made up his mind to give it to you. He's already made up his mind. Then how come I don't have it? James says in chapter 4, you have not because you ask not. And that word ask there is the same word I talked about last week. When Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, ask and you shall receive. And I said, well, Lord, I've asked that I didn't receive. And then I look up the word ask. The word ask doesn't mean say words. It means a cry from the heart out of a need. And every time I've ever done that, I've gotten the answer. And that's what John's saying there. You already have. And see, Jesus is saying, this is Jesus, but here's Jesus, just casual comment. Normally, he wouldn't have even said that out loud because he spoke to the situation. That's prayer. Many times we're praying to God for something he's telling us to speak to. I can see your mind going, huh? Because we think prayer is asking God to do something. God, deal with the devil. When he says, resist the devil, and he will flee with you to you. We're the ones to do. We're the ones with the authority on the earth. I mentioned that last week. We're the ones that have been given the authority on the earth. The church. The church is Jesus' body on the earth that's been given his name, that's been given his blood, that's been given his word to speak just as he spoke words out his mouth and God backed those words up. Jesus told his disciples, whatever you bind on earth, it will be bound in heaven. Whatever, In fact, in the Greek, what it literally says is whatever you bind on earth will be as if it had already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be as if it had already been loosed in heaven. In other words, heaven's already decided to back up your prayers. So what's left to do? Pray. Pray. <laughs> what's left to do? Pray. One more and then we'll, we'll pray. Let me see what this one is. John 12. Let's drop down to John 12, verse 27. Jesus is in the garden. This is Jesus again. We're talking about Jesus, he needed to pray. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. So Jesus is struggling in his soul 
with what he's about to go through and face. My, and he's being honest with the Father. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Next verse. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I both glorified it and will glorify it. Matthew's account of this, he has to go back three times. The point is, when Jesus was in his most difficult time of what he was struggling with, he, what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. He sought his energy. He sought his strength to go through that, to face that cross. Not on his own, but by going to pray. So we're going to pray now. We're going to take the time that we have left to pray. And we're just going to begin to seek God again. What's on my heart is to come to God and to seek God to, to bring this church together in prayer. I shared with you last week that, that Jim Cimbala with his great book on Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire makes us come. He's got his church, Berkeley Tabernacle, was built on the, in the slums of New York with drug addicts. He'd come to church and have to move the drunks off the doors of the steps of the church to get in and open the church. And he was so discouraged, he was failing. And he's going through all kinds of family issues. And he pulled aside to pray. And God had his wife begin to pray. And miracles began to happen. People began to get delivered. And this great church that's affecting people all over the world was birthed out of prayer. And the strongest part of their ministry, they've got a Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, Trout, but the strongest part of that ministry is their prayer meeting because they've caught the spirit of prayer. And that's what we're going to ask God to do. We're going to begin by praying for some things God tells us to pray for. And I'll just lead us, and then you can just begin to walk around, get on your knees. It doesn't matter how you pray. It matters the confidence with which we pray. Father, we come to you tonight, and we thank you that you're putting it on our hearts to begin to seek you as a congregation. Father, even in this room right now, there, there are many needs. And we trust you, Father, as we come together and begin to seek you together, to seek you to bring us together to be of one heart and of one accord, seeking you, that you will begin to move among us and to meet our needs. So, Father, first of all, we come and do what your word says. is We pray for those that are in leadership and authority over our lives, that have authority over our lives from the leaders of our national government, our president, right on down to our local leaders here in Seekonk and in our own hometowns. And we pray for them, Father, that you will give them wisdom, the wisdom of God, that you will open their eyes to accept and see that the authority that they have comes with the responsibility that you've given to them to govern honestly and fairly. And your word says that as we do this, that, that, the, that we will live a quiet and peaceful life, that your church will. And we pray, Father, for this nation, that you will turn this nation around, that you, will, that you will restore the liberties that were once in this nation, that the gospel may continue to survive and to go forth in power because thousands and thousands of lives are at stake. We thank you for this nation that you've given to us, that you placed us in here. And, Father, we pray for this nation. This nation is at a critical time when many forces of darkness are moving upon us and trying to destroy us and, and captivate us and, and spirits are trying to destroy the church and to silence the church. And we pray, Father, as they did in the, in, the, in the book of Acts, for boldness, that you will give us boldness to continue to speak the word, greater boldness, greater boldness to be a witness for you, greater boldness to stand for you. Father, we thank you that you protect us.
but we learned, Lord, in our, in our lives, in our societies, the covenant to try to hold on security and comfort. And Father, we ask you to strengthen us, that we may be able to be willing to step outside of our comfort zones, to step outside and to begin to allow the Spirit of God to begin to move through us and to do His will. We pray for the, the, the purpose of this church that you've called us to, Father. We're in our 40th year of existence from when Pastor Sam was called up here. and We thank you for him. And we thank you for Donna. This is to, Friday is her birthday. We thank you, Father, that she's well and healthy, that you continue to take care of her. And we remember the legacy and remember, Lord, this church is here because we stand on his shoulders. And we ask you, Father, to pray that we would, this church would finish the, the, the call that you have on our lives. We believe that the best is yet to come, Father, that, our, that the best days for this church are still ahead of us. But they're going, going, only going to happen, Father, as this church that's been built upon the Word of God and the foundation of the Word of God, when the Spirit of God comes down and that Word is caught on fire in our hearts. And we become a fire going forth from this. We become that river that Ezekiel speaks forth, Father, coming, flowing out of here, a river of life that changes everything in its path from death to life. We pray, Father, for your vision for this church. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in our lives and in this place. We pray, Father, for every resource that's needed, for the people that are needed, Father, we, to bring uh, this worship. We thank you for the people we have and their love and their commitment. And, Lord, we just ask you to strengthen them and to give us wisdom, Lord, and to increase those, Lord, bring to us people. More and more people, Lord, so that we can have more and more worshipers and more and more, more and more power in our worship, Father. Teach us how to worship you. Teach us how to pray. Jesus, when the disciples came to you and they said, Lord, others are taught how to pray, we're asking you to teach us. You didn't rebuke them. You didn't criticize them. But you did exactly that. You taught them in this manner, pray. And you gave us a prayer matter, Lord. And Lord, often we've turned this into a vain, repetitious prayer. But teach us the spirit of prayer. Teach us how to pray together as a congregation. We thank you that every need is met here. We thank you that the teachers, we have teachers, Lord, that are, that, that, are, that are strong, that are able, that are doing what they're supposed to do. We thank you that every vacancy is filled. We pray for our students, Father, for our youth, especially downstairs tonight. Lord, they've tasted, they've tasted the reality of your spirit, many of them this summer through camp. And Father, don't let that, don't let that flame go out, but, but, but breathe on it by your spirit, Lord, that it may begin to spread among them, but it begin to spread up here, Lord. Your fire, your fire, your fire, your fire. Lord, we'll call upon you the fire of the Holy Spirit, to purify, the fire of the Holy Spirit, to cleanse, the fire of the Holy Spirit, to enliven us. Jesus promised us that we would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we need that fire, Lord. We need that fire, Lord. We need that fire, Lord. Awaken us from our complacency. Awaken us from our comfort, Lord. Awaken us, Lord, to your lordship over our lives, to your lordship over our lives. We're learning how to follow you, Lord. And the path you lead us on is, is, is at first blush not an easy path. But Lord, help us to see the other end of that. Help us to see the new life that's on the other side. Help us to see, Lord, that it's not a death, but it's a resurrection. Help us to see, Lord. Help us by your Spirit, Lord, to die to ourselves, Lord. The selfishness and the self that's so deeply ingrained in our soul and in our flesh. Help us by your Spirit. Strengthen us 
that we can die to ourselves, deny ourselves, get over ourselves, and begin to get on with you and what you've called us here to do. Lord, may we see you. Not a vision, but may we see you in our spirit. May we see what you did for us on the cross. May that cross, that impact of that cross, impact us so much that we'll never be the same, that we're consumed with the good news of the gospel, that the burdens of our life are lifted off of us, the burdens of the guilt of our past, the burdens of our sense of falling short all the time, the burdens of all the condemnation just fall away, and we're set free by what you've already done for us on the cross. Holy Spirit, Burn through those, burn through those, burn through those, burn through those hindrances, burn through those obstacles, burn through them and set us free, set us free. We sing about that we've been set free, the chains are off and we've been set free, Lord. Make that a reality in our lives. Make us a reality in our lives. So many Christians struggle just to, just to go by every day, just to feel like they're okay, just and release us from those burdens. Help us to see that that's been paid for that that's all gone, that we stand before you today in Christ Jesus, holy and without blame in him. May we see the freedom that you've called us into, the joy, the peace, the good news of the gospel. Oh, Lord God. Oh, Lord God, as we look at the young generation, we look at the young generation and how overwhelming it looks with all the things that come against them, the social media, the pressures that come against them, friends and influence, Lord. It is absolutely overwhelming. There's nothing that we can do in our programs, in our strength, in our own. But you, O oh God, you, O oh God, are able. It's not too late. You, O oh God, you're, they're your heartbeat. You care about them. You passionately care about them. Father, And we come and pray for this generation. The generation here represented in this church, our, our, our teens that are downstairs, but the, the, our teenagers that, that are our children and our grandchildren, Lord, that aren't here tonight, that are not present here tonight. They're away from the Lord. Children that are away from the Lord. Grandchildren that are away from the Lord. Father, we come to pray for them tonight, that you would open the eyes of their understanding, that they would see the hope of your calling for their life that's in Christ Jesus. And Satan, we be given authority over you. And the Word of God says you are the one that blinds the eyes of the unbelieving, that they cannot see the glory of the gospel that's in the face of Jesus Christ. And we come against you in the name of Jesus. We come against you in the name of Jesus. And we command you in his name to release your power, to release your confusing spirits, to release your spirits of drugs, your spirits of, of, of infirmities, your spirits that would captivate these young people and deceive them, these deceiving spirits. We break your authority and your power over our young people's lives. And we plead the blood of Jesus. We plead the gracious blood of Jesus. We plead the powerful blood of Jesus over these young people's lives. Open their eyes of their understanding. Begin a Revival, Lord. They may not listen to you, to me. They may not listen to us, but they'll listen to other young people. Send the labors across their path. Send the labors across their path. Lord, start a fire downstairs. Start a fire downstairs that will begin to spread and spread and spread and spread and spread. Start a fire downstairs, oh God, among our young people. Start a fire, Lord, with their passion and their zeal. Start a fire among them, Lord. We're crying out to you tonight. Lord, because of this desperate need, this desperate need, oh God, 
You love every one of those young people. You love them dearly and passionately, and you want them to know you. Your heart breaks. You want them to know you. You want them to know you, Father. You want to know you as your father, Father. Some of them have not had fathers, or they've had fathers that mistreated them, but they want to know you as Father. Some of them have good fathers, but they've just been led as they went through their teenage years. Lord, you can go places we can't go. You can influence in places in their heart we can't influence. And we ask you to spend the, send the Holy Spirit. Send the Holy Spirit, wake them at nighttime. Visions, whatever it is it takes, Lord, to awaken them. To awaken them to where they are, to bring them to their senses. The prodigal came to his senses in the pigsty. Lord, there are some out there tonight that may be in crack houses. There are some out there tonight that may be, that may be in the streets and they're down at their end. Lord, let them know you'll meet them where they are. You go into the gutters. You go into the crack houses. You can go into the houses of prostitution. You can go out into the streets where most of us would never go. You can go, and the love of Christ goes to those places. It goes to meet them. And Lord, we're praying that the Spirit of God tonight would go out from here. That Spirit would go out from here and begin to meet them where they are to meet them where they are. Children that were raised in church that are away, the words that they've heard even as a child in Sunday school begin to come back to them. They'll know there's a God who loves them no matter where they've been and what they've done. They'll know that you're waiting to receive them. They'll know that your grace loves them no matter what, no matter what they've done and where they've been. Lord, fill us with that love. 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 Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. There's no such thing as hopeless. There's no such thing as hopeless. There's nothing beyond your reach. There's nothing beyond your reach. There's no person beyond your reach. There's no place beyond your reach. Your word says, where can we go from your spirit? Even if we go down to the gates of hell... There you are waiting. And Lord, you may have to go to the gates of hell for some of these young people, but you will go there. And we pray for them, Father. We thank you for them. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now may this spread, Lord. May you remind some of us in the morning when we get up to pull aside that the most important time of our day is the time we spend with you, that you are the refreshing, you are the strength. And Lord, we thank you tonight. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, I pray tonight if there's anybody here that has never received Christ, that's not right with him, through, not right with you through Christ, that they've never called upon Jesus to be their Savior and as their Lord, that you would open their eyes. To...